0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with legendary Canadian jazz guitarist Oliver Gannon. Born in Dublin, Ireland, these days he calls Vancouver, Canada, his home. And he took some time to look back on a very rich, rewarding jazz career. Along the way, he told me how he stopped being an engineering student to pursue jazz. The cats he's played with over the years, traveling the world, giving folks that jazz, what is next, and many more surprises. Dig this interview, my friends.
1: How are you doing?
2: I'm wonderful. Thank you for giving me some of your time today. I really appreciate it. No problem. It. No problem. And then I'm going to go ahead and dive right in here and ask you what has been going on with you lately.
1: To be very frank, I uh, I uh, I've sort of curtailed my a lot of my playing lately because my wife is very very sick. She uh, she got cancer uh, in May, and basically that so when that happens, it sort of changes your life, um, as you can imagine so yeah. i've been uh, i'm i'm here 100% for her i still do gigs but um i'm uh, i've i've uh, i'm keeping a low profile as they say having said that i mean i just finished uh, doing some very nice playing with um, um about seven or eight gigs uh with uh, neil swainson a great bass player from canadian bass player i'm not sure if you're familiar with him
2: yes neil swainson
1: and uh, pj perry saxophone player
2: wonderful. Let me hop back in your lineage to your beginning. You grew up in Dublin, Ireland, correct? Uh that's right. What was that like growing up there to give you that love of music that you have?
1: Well, I I didn't I wasn't into music at all uh, then. I was I was 14 when when uh, the family came over to Canada and uh, came to Winnipeg, but my dad uh, was into music and uh, he was a piano player and uh, so when we came to Winnipeg he had a day gig but uh, you know a, an ordinary job but uh uh he used to play on the weekends but uh, I never I never even thought about playing music or or, or doing anything till I was a, I was actually a, an engineering student I was in second year engineering and uh, I basically uh, had just taken up the I just bought myself an electric guitar and he he taught me a couple of chords on it I guess and um, and um I heard heard Barney Kessel, um, the pole winners. I mean, I, I never thought the guitar could sound like that. I played that record over and over again, and that, that was my introduction to, to to jazz and to music.
2: <laughs> That's wonderful. And,
1: and I ended up playing. Uh, I I, w- I guess I was a fast learner um, because I did have a good ear. I knew I knew I had a good ear. But so I did my first gig with my dad's uh, quartet. Um, you know, about um, three or four or five months later and then I've been basically playing the guitar ever since, and I, I basically got out of engineering because I said uh, I'd much prefer to, <laughs> to be a musician than to be, uh, you know, uh, building bridges and things like that.
2: Sure. So, your dad was a jazz pianist. What did he teach you about music?
1: Well, actually, he wasn't the greatest teacher. He was he was just, a, a you know, a good player, and I say that lovingly, but uh, it's not that he didn't want to teach me, but... He he would just uh, if he tried to teach you something he'd just play it on the piano. So I remember literally asking him. Uh, uh, he was chiding me because when I had got this electric guitar, I was twanging away with open uh, open chords on the gu- on the guitar, which, as you can imagine, uh, for a beginner, um, you know, they sound pretty terrible. Uh, and um, he said, "Why don't you play some good chords?" And I said, "Well, teach me a good chord." So he so he taught me how to play an E flat. And uh, and I didn't know anything about reading or notes or anything, so I said, well, what are the notes? So I, f- I figured them out. He would play uh, you know, some of the notes in the chord, and-, and I figured out where they were in the guitar. Literally, that's how I, I learned how to play um, play my first few tunes.
2: We're going to flash forward just a little bit here. We're going to actually back, I should say. You went to the Berkeley College of Music back in the 60s, correct? Right. What was it like at that time to be going there and to be in the States and kind of that whole experience?
1: Oh, it was great. I I loved it. It was uh, it was much smaller school then, uh, and um, but it still had a great rep. It had a great reputation, and and people like Keith Jarrett and, and Gary Burton had had been there about three or four years before me. But uh, um, and J- uh, John Abercrombie was was there when I was there. But I didn't I didn't actually get to know him down there because I was just a freshman. But I, I did do the four years and got the uh, got the degree because I knew it would make my mother happy uh, if if I if I came home with a degree. Um, but uh, it was re- great. It was on um, Newbury Street in those days, and they had originally it was called Schillinger House, and they they just built um, uh, they, they 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 bought a house, and that's where the school was when guys like. Quincy Jones and people like that went to, went to it. Um, that would have been probably in the late fifties. I don't know, uh, but I was there. I went there in about nineteen sixty three, sixty two or sixty three, I think, because I graduated in, in sixty nine. Maybe maybe it was sixty sixty four. Probably when I went there.
2: It also said when you were going to Berkeley, you had exposure to Wes Montgomery, went Kelly, Jimmy Cobb, Paul Chambers. What was it like to be exposed to those kinds of musicians?
1: Oh, it was absolutely fantastic. Uh, I up until um, I'd always been a Barney Kessel um, fan because, and he was great, and he was my first influence. And uh, I just remember um, uh, everyone was talking about, yeah, but have you heard Wes? So uh, luckily, I was was the the Jazz Workshop was the place, the jazz club down in Boston, and when Wes uh, came there, luckily the. Club I was working at every night. I had a gig down there um, uh, six nights a week for three and a half years, which is was pre- pretty pretty nice. But the guy who owned the club that I worked uh, at um, uh, also owned the jazz workshop, so I got to go in when everyone else was lining up. I got to go in and I'd hear the last set because we'd uh, sometimes just end uh, end our night uh, early. And uh, head off to that, and it was absolutely uh, fantastic. Uh, I became an instant Wes Convert, and I, I, I bought all of all of his albums and learned how to play octaves. And uh, me and every every other guitar player, I think, but uh, I, he was a huge influence on me. And and I just love Wynton Kelly's playing and and Paul Chambers and Jimmy Cobb. I heard the good guys.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So are you in Vancouver these days?
1: Yeah, I'm I, I'm I, I say Vancouver. I'm I'm about thirty miles south, a little a little uh, place on the coast, uh, very near the border, um called um, White Rock. But uh yeah, I'm, I'm 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 basically I do all my playing in Vancouver.
2: Well I've been lucky to have interviewed Corey Weeds this week and I've gotten a very glowing uh description of the scene that's going on in Vancouver. Why did you land on Vancouver and- what is it like to be a jazz musician up there?
1: Well, that's a good question. Um, when I uh, it was just before I graduated from Berkeley, I got talking to a guy because my my wife at the time and myself we we I we, I I'd, I'd sort of had it with studying and and working hard and uh, I we wanted to go to to uh, to Spain and, and buy a little place in Spain for some reason. No, don't ask me why. It's a long story, but. Um, <laughs> I I and they were drafting Canadians or, or anyone down there. In fact, a lot of my my friends, because it was right in the Vietnam War thing, so that everyone was getting drafted. If I stayed, and I mean, I would have ideally liked to go to New York, but um, and uh, but I knew I'd, I'd immediately would have been drafted. So I I headed uh, to Vancouver, and I didn't know anything. I knew that Toronto was really cold, and so was Montreal in the winter, and I wanted a, a place that was going to be a little bit friendlier weather-wise. So knowing nothing about Vancouver, um, we chose to come to Vancouver. I didn't know the soul, but uh, uh, it's lovely. I have really uh, never regretted being here, but the music scene basically it kind of sucks compared to um, uh, Toronto or Montreal, and especially compared to any of the big cities in, in the States. Um, there just isn't a very good um Jazz scene here. I did a lot of um, you know studio work in the 70s and 80s, and I've always ended up playing. I mean, I've always played a lot here, so uh, it's been good in that sense. And I, I realize you can choose to make uh, some compromises. In other words, give up uh, being rich and famous by possibly you know going to New York and trying to make it there. Um, and uh, I've been very happy uh, just uh, just playing playing here and. Um, uh, played. There's some v- great players in in Vancouver. There always have been. So, it's uh, it's a nice place to be.
2: Wonderful. So in 1970, you co-founded Fusion Group Pacific Salt. Talk to me a little bit about how that came about and what that experience was like for you.
1: Yeah, Ian McDougall started it, and um, I had just come to Vancouver at the time, and uh, they started uh, Ian heard started hearing me hearing about me and and you know, and playing in various clubs and things like that, so so I, I thought it was great because these guys were all really good musicians, um, very, uh, very good musicians, and uh, we, we, we were kind of active for about 10 years, and uh, we played a lot of fusion and, you know, that kind of thing, and um, in retrospect, I wish we had just stuck to playing, you know, um, like jazz messengers kind of stuff, but... Uh, that, that was a different era, and every uh, Miles Davis was leading us all down the the fusion path.
2: <laughs> if you know yeah. what I mean? Absolutely, absolutely. So let me ask you this: You did a lot of collaborations with the late great Fraser McPherson, and yep. you have a nineteen eighty three Juno Award for best jazz album. What was it like to work with him? And what, what's kind of your recollection of the memories that you've shared with him over well, the years?
1: He was a great guy. Uh, he, was, he was about fifteen years older than me, and. He was more like a, a an older brother, an older and wiser brother, and uh, we 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 didn't necessarily agree on on, on everything, but uh, uh, he he thought my taste was far too eclectic, and I, I used to sort of uh, accuse him of having blinders on because he, he in retrospect I realized he was just a guy who knew what he liked, and you know he didn't like some of the uh, some of the the um, well just the the ri- wide range uh, that jazz had become the fusion stuff and all that kind of thing but he was a great player and he played you know in his earlier days he did all the bird stuff you know and played a lot of bebop when i worked with him he he he, he played tenor exclusively but he you know like most of the saxophone players he used to um, he was a very good lead player in bands and things like that lead alto um he was uh, a very uh, consistently good musician, and he had a lot of uh, principles. Uh, really good, sort of principles that he well, he 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 took playing the melody, uh, the correct melody, uh, really uh, uh, seriously. For example, and uh, and uh, you know, at the times I, I I would think, well, why does you know why doesn't he just fool around with the melody more? But he 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 played the melodies really good, uh, really beautifully. As I think back. And I actually learned an awful lot from him without knowing it. He was the kind of guy, he never he never taught me or never did anything like that. He wasn't sort of a mentor to me in that sense. And, you know, he, the kind of guy, he never sort of paid me an, an overt compliment. Uh, but I guess the fact that he, he used me in his group all the time was, was a compliment enough, I guess. And um, uh, I just realized that he was... Um, uh, he was the kind of guy who who um, uh, he played beautifully and had a had a lot of good good kind of principles. Like, I mean, he used to say jokingly, "If you show up, if you're dressed smartly, if you show up on time, that's uh, that's ninety eight percent of the ninety eight percent of it, or something like that." He did. He'd have little phrases like that that, uh, yeah. that made you realize just take care of business, you know.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And don't,
1: and don't worry about the the little stuff, you know.
2: Yeah, that's a good adage for life. So who do you think, who would you say has taught you the most about music?
1: Well, I, I mean, I initially learned from uh, uh, by playing with my dad. I think most of the time, and um, this might be true of a lot of musicians, I, I, I've learned so much by listening to records. I mean, uh, I, uh, ke- uh, by listening to Kessel, I mean, I, that's how I learned how to play the guitar, just playing things over and over again. Uh, I never did. Uh, was not, I was not the kind of guy. Uh, when I went to Berkeley, for example, I actually switched in my first semester from from guitar to piano because uh, I I thought my I thought I was out of tune all the time, but it was the damn horn players that were out of tune, and I'd spend all my time in the ensembles uh, trying to trying to get in tune with somebody, and uh, guitar, so. I, I, but the funny thing is, ironically, I, I ended up playing playing the guitar every night, but just. It wasn't my my major instrument. I was so busy with the gig every night and doing school that that I I ended up uh, not practicing the piano very much. But now I, these days, now that I'm sort of semi-retired, I'm uh, I'm playing a lot of piano and really really enjoying it. Yeah, I'm playing piano uh, these days, and I'm not. I, I could go to four or five great piano player friends of mine that I play with, and they they give me the shirt off the back teaching wise. Uh, but um i prefer i'm preferring to do it all by myself not, it's not an ego trip it's just uh the as bill evans once said is the joy of discovery uh, i'm just really really enjoying uh how to how to make the piano work and um uh I luckily of course i i know a lot of tunes and i know the the chords and things like that and, and so uh i can play you know hundreds and hundreds of tunes on the piano it's just that I need to learn how to play them better.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> That's my goal for the next uh, the next number of years.
2: Very cool. So over the years, you've won a lot of awards, including in '03, you won the Jazz Guitars of the Year by the Canadian Jazz Award. Tell me, not your favorite award, but what award have you won that just kind of blindsided you? You're like, wow, just kind of got you in that certain way. Well, and you well remember I, it.
1: Actually, actually, both of them got me because... Um, in, in uh, '82 or '83, when we did do that that album, that was just a, a, a radio show. We were supposed to have a, a CBC radio show, and um, we were supposed to um, have a bass player, Wyatt Ruther, who used to play with us in those days. And and for various reasons, he didn't show up. Um, and so Fraser uh, came to me, and you know, we were in the studio, and he'd just gotten the word that Wyatt wasn't going to be there. Um, and he said, "Well, I guess it's you and me, kid." Okay so I'd never done a a, a duo in my life uh, uh because we always had had bass so I I said oh this should be interesting and um after the gig after the the radio show was over uh, my another bass player friend of mine said how did it go and I said oh I don't don't think it went too well I mean I've never done a a duo Gig before so i uh, I'm telling you that story because it's like a little background to and then you end up winning the Juno award for it. Yeah. go figure you know
2: yeah yeah that's funny, <laughs> so, that's so that,
1: funny. that 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 was that was uh, a surprise and um the other one uh was one where people write in uh i guess it it was an online voting thing and i uh i didn't even know that uh that i I had been uh, like I, I don't remember n- being nominated or doing anything for this. It's maybe just the way this thing worked. And then I got a call uh, from the, the guys. I was actually in Hawaii at the time, and they they uh, they had gotten uh, my number and phoned me there, and uh, said that I wanted I I couldn't figure out how. I didn't figure that anyone you know east of uh, east of Winnipeg would have ever even heard of me you know but as it was so it was interesting it was, i guess there it showed me there are people out there that actually do listen to some of the cds that uh you're on that was that was a big surprise it was a really big surprise and yeah, i was up that... against uh i don't say up against because I, I didn't realize that that it was even going on uh but there were a lot of very good guitar players from t- the toronto area as you sure you know that that's uh a haven of Pretty pretty good guitar players there, that city.
2: Let me ask you this. We've kind of gone over some traction of artists that you've loved and you've listened to and have been inspiring. If you could go back in time and witness one of these musicians live, where would you go and who would you see?
1: Oh, that's an easy one for me. I would go back to the Hot Club of France and and sit in the front row with a nice bottle of wine and listen to Django Reinhardt and Stefan Grappelli.
2: Amen that would be nice. That would be you really know, nice. You know, I mean
1: I I, I consider Django as like the bird of uh, of of uh, of the gut- the guitar players. He he had that same gypsy kind of attitude towards the whole thing and towards soloing. The bird had and uh, you know, having amazing technique in spite of the two fingers that he he played basically played with. Um he um he was such an original and his some of the solos were were absolutely absolutely amazing. I mean, almost any guitar player will will tell you that and then then he played the same tune on another record and a totally different equally great solo. So, uh, that that would be great, but um, of course, I love uh, uh I, I'd love to go back and hear more of Wes with with Winton. And uh um you know, I'd love to um hear Miles um you know in the in the 50s with Coltrane and and, uh, and then in the 60s i'd love to hear i mean i, I, I sometimes think that the the group uh, with uh, Ron Carter and and Herbie uh was the best that, that uh, the jazz ever got to you know i mean it it uh, in terms of the feeling those guys got
2: let me ask you this as a man that's dedicated his life to jazz given the world so much good music i got a very simple question for you why do you love jazz?
1: <laughs> well, uh, you know it's it's the swing. It, it, the the thing that gets me about it about jazz and always did get me about it was was uh, the swing. Just like Duke said. I mean, it, it, and 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 if I'm listening to jazz that's intellectual, I, I genuinely I don't actually enjoy it very much. So I'm I'm not into the intellectual side of it. Um, and I'm not an intellectual player. I mean, basically, I'm an ear player. Even though I, I do, I did study all the, the right things to do, you know, at, at Berkeley and uh, that kind of thing. But I, I never, I never think technically. I'm just literally trying to come up with little uh, melodies and and um, uh, different ways of playing a tune. But um, you know, my playing is very sort of in in quotes inside rather than outside and that doesn't bother me at all i mean i know i'm not a i don't i'm not a modern player i'm i'm but if somebody says uh, uh, that I'm, I'm i'm a swinging player that that that's going to make me feel pretty good
2: yeah absolutely so by no means are you done with your career but if you look back now now that you're kind of at a point where you have some time to reflect a little bit you're not as busy when you look back on your life in the world of jazz what would you like the world to remember you by? How what what you have given to the world of jazz?
1: Well, let me think. Well, that's a tough one. Um, well, I, I would like I would like them. I'd like a person who, who listens to me to say, uh, to, maybe, as corny as it sounds, I'd like to think that I'd like to think that they were going to tap their toes a little bit, and uh, and think that, you know that they like the way I'm maybe putting stuff together and um and or how I am interacting with the piano player or or the bass player or whatever and um you know the trumpet player always used to talk uh, um about uh you know telling your story uh, you know in terms of soloing and and uh, I'd like to I'd like people to think that they they like the way I'm telling the story
2: beautiful And this was a great story that you gave me. Oliver, thank you for taking a little time out for your honesty, for your uh, openness. I really appreciate you doing
1: it. Thanks, Joe. Good to talk to you.
0: Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York, Kansas City, Canada, and spots all over the world. And thanks to the great Oliver Gannon for his vision, his honesty, and his quality music. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes store, or you can visit the neonjazz.blogspot.com for all things Neon Jazz. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends.
2: Leon Jazz.